Welcome back to Square Horror. I am your Duke of Spook, Danny. Master of Scaramodies, Matt. Uh, spoiler warning? Yeah, we need to put a nice hearty spoiler alert here at the top of this episode because we are talking about a new film in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Right. Okay. Which I think is the second most expensive horror movie ever made. Probably. Because I think it? Uh, World War Z. World War Z really? had a budget of like a quarter of a billion dollars, I think. It was somewhere between like 190 and 260 million dollars to make that movie. Wow. And nobody cared <laughs> about it. That's really sad. That's very, very sad. Okay, but yeah, and it's only this expensive for Doctor Strange because it's Marvel. Because mm-hmm. it's Doctor Strange. Because it's not the Marvel didn't know they were asking for a horror movie. They didn't yeah. know they were paying for it. Um, so why is that? Why what what was the T-bone in the fucking line of cars that was every single one of their condensed chapters in their big chapter book story? What was the name of that T-bone driving that green Chrysler? Who was behind the wheel of that in his every single one of his properties with the car that he always puts in, the same one from Evil Dead? Good old Sam Raimi, my boy, coming into play. Coming out of his superhero movie retirement that had been yeah. going since 2007. Why uh, did he ever go into retirement, Danny? Oh, it might have to do with this little movie called uh, Spider-Man 3 when Sony Pictures got way too involved and made Sam use a character that he admitted that he doesn't understand and wouldn't want to work with. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up specifically the, the, the producers because despite what some people believe, Spider-Man 3 is not a bad movie. It's a good movie that a studio shit all over. Or more like it, it was a movie that you gave it's like putting a like a like a hawk that's supposed to soar however it wants, wherever it wants, like up and down, sideways, slantways, and you put it in a cage. And the cage is called Put Venom in a Movie. Uh, A character (laughs) that should, I also feel like, could get the horror movie treatment, like the superhero horror movie treatment at some point. Initially, Um, he did. This is something fun that's come out recently, is now that um, Sam Raimi's back in news, people started looking through old Sony stock footage, which Mm. included the fact that in the original ending of the movie, New Goblin, first of all, wasn't in, mostly in that final fight. Yeah. But the Venom symbiote left Eddie Brock and just left him a skeleton because it had consumed his body at, before it tried to get back with Peter Parker. So it was that way more intense. Ramey. And yeah, it's totally Raimi. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot more intense, uh, especially because... Sam Raimi likes dealing with monsters. He's not uh, afraid of um, like people turning into monsters. Mm-hmm. Like um, his big passion project that we've covered months, years ago at this point, Dark Man, is all about turning a man into a monster, um, mm-hmm. but still exploring the humanity of what makes that monster human. And that's now that I'm thinking about it, that's exactly what he took Wanda for in this movie mm-hmm. it's very dark man of her 
to have that moment of realization of like, oh, holy shit, I'm I'm the bad guy or like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm the fucked up one. Uh, but still choosing to um, in, a, in a very I mean, Frankenstein in the Universal movie is the first one to do it where the monster, quote unquote, regains its humanity uh, to mm-hmm. like self-sacrifice. It's very dark, man. And it's very Wanda in this movie. Yeah. So what kind of background do you have on this before we completely get in? All right. So let's talk a little backstory of Marvel. So um, Scott Derrickson was initially set to make this movie because he had created the first Doctor Strange after I think somebody else stepped down. He might have been. Was that when Edgar Wright was supposed to do the first one? I, no, was he was. Ant-Man. Or was that Ant Man? That was, was Ant Man. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what was Scott coming off of before Doctor Strange? Before Doctor Strange, Scott Derrickson had just created Sinister and yeah. had done a few other horror movies, if memory serves. I can't recall any. I believe by name. so. Yeah, but he had but, horror roots, and so he was really excited because he was able to talk to Kevin Feige, the god of Marvel Studios, and was like, "Hey, so um." you want to get more interested in like the spooky side of Dr. Strange. And Kevin was like, yes, tell me more. Yeah. And so he was like, have you heard of this guy named nightmare? And Kevin went, uh, yeah, I'm Kevin Feige. And he was like, can I make a movie about him? And he was like, uh, yeah, do it. Have fun. Um, and so he started off on development. He found a new screenwriter, someone who was very fresh to everything. Um, and Scott and Scott Derrickson was like, I want to make a villain that's as compelling as the Joker was in uh, Dark Knight. And I was like, interesting. Okay. This is a bold, bold, dark take on Nightmare, especially since Doctor Strange is going to be like dealing with Nightmare. Um, And so that was the initial talk. But as um, development continued, Scott was looking to make it more horror than what Marvel was willing to do. And so he ended up separating from the project, I think, within the last couple of years, because he was still developing it himself when he announced it in summer of 2019, getting ready for a 2020 shoot. This was pre-pandemic when everyone thought things were going to be hunky-dory in the new decade. Yeah, we thought Doctor Strange was going to have a horror movie. We thought there wasn't going to be any delay. I thought I was going to graduate college and go into life seamlessly. We all had dreams and fantasies back then. (laughs) but yes late in 2019 scott derrickson stepped away from the project citing creative differences most specifically the tone of the horror in the movie and so then good old kev boy is like "Ooh, i need to find somebody to uh take over this movie because it's supposed to come out in like a year and a half and we're supposed to film it pretty soon and so whose door does he knock on a couple other people's but then eventually he gets to sam raimi you're right i i do remember them being like so and so would talk so i'm like who and it wasn't till sam raimi that i'm like stop stop looking pick him it's the only way stay there and this is this was after um uh endgame had come out at this point Mm -hmm. and they're like dr strange multiverse of man i'm like wait what i'm like oh no this is gonna be stupid and they're like but hey sam raimi i'm like all right at marvel <laughs> and sam raimi was like you know what you crazy bastards you got me let's do this yeah and so he signed on and man does it pay off 
because this movie is chock full of some of the things that I think makes Sam Raimi's both his horror and superhero movies very effective. Yes, and it's absolutely what we talked about last week with the New Mutants, um, the the tells of what or when you strip away the horror or the superhero aspects of anything the core aspects of what makes a good story or movie is if the story is engaging um and not engaging just because the stakes are high it's engaging because the characters are engaging and relatable and it's something that anyone can relate to like, yeah, obviously the stakes are going to be high and the progression of the Marvel Universe has mm-hmm. to happen. But the fact that Sam Raimi took time to care enough to put all of this stuff in, he didn't have to. Sam Raimi oh. did not need to have a complex Doctor Strange movie, but he's like, I won't do it if it's not. You could have yeah, had two and in. a half hours of, yeah. He went in and did a like treatment of the current script and was like, we need to add this. We need to add this. This needs to be developed more. Um, let's make it happen. And then they were like, okay, Sam, let's, let's make this happen for you. Yeah. Like I would, I would bet that everything with Christine was maybe five minutes and then not again. And then he said, no, that's the emotional core of Dr. Strange. Didn't you guys watch what if? best episode was just about that mm-hmm. and then he's like no that's his core that's his emotional core that's what makes him afraid that's the weakness that i'm sure in the original treatment with nightmare that was gonna prey on dr strange like i would be interested to see how much of the original script they kept before they added all the multiverse bullshit um well because it was always especially when it comes to how yeah, was but I, I mean was it i didn't know if because the way that they had done Spider-Man got rejiggered because of the pandemic. Well, I okay, thought. so this had always been a multiverse movie because back when Scott was still attached, it was announced that this was Multiverse of Madness. However, it was um, it did change when it and Spider-Man ended up basically switching release orders. Yeah. Um, so this one didn't have to introduce the multiverse was the right. biggest thing was that it could just kind of be like the multiverse is happening. You've seen WandaVision. You've seen Loki. You've seen the new Spider-Man where everybody showed up. You know where we're at. Continue from there. Well, and not to get more into MCU talk for, to alienate those listeners that, that are not, that don't care. Um, but WandaVision originally did have... Like, we're going to be talking about WandaVision specifically when it comes to Wanda. Like, so that's the only other property we're really going to be talking about because any other property leads directly into it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other property that had Doctor Strange in it prior to this one that was not the movie Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange more or less could be plucked out of it and nothing to his character would really change all that much. This movie sort of praise on like his guilt about infinity war but that's Mm -hmm. quickly thrown asunder because they're like no that there's nothing to that because his role in those movies was not emotional it was just be the wizard so for wandavision's sake originally at the end after her character does a fucking complete breakdown in terms of what makes her her Mm -hmm. and things are changed and extrapolated on um and more or less like reborn dr strange was supposed to be in that so before they did the reshuffling with that movie and Spider-Man, 
and made Spider-Man more of a, of a multiverse movie, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be in WandaVision probably to start the ball rolling on what are we going to do with dreamwalking? Well, you actually that's a want to know power. where like that power is nightmare. The if memory serves the scene that was supposed to be at the end of WandaVision that they ended up cutting and kind of switching around a little bit was Doctor Strange showing up to her like orchard. It was the really? beginning of that scene huh. being like, hey, something's going on that I don't understand. I need your help. And it would have cut off before as this movie shows that's all bullshit to have um want to talk to strange about i need this girl for her powers that's what well, and i think would have initially been in the show was dr sure. strange being like i don't know what's going on you maybe know a little bit let's work together we're sorcerers okay. that's how we work <laughs> yeah i've always said about wanda like especially with wandavision like if anyone plays D and knows the differences between sorcerers warlocks and and wizards the difference is all three of them are magic users, but wizards have to go to basically be doctors, like go to school, learn all of these things, like Stephen Strange. Then there's warlocks who just, they know how to cheat to get power, like uh, Agatha Harkness. And then there's sorcerers who don't need to know any of that bullshit, and they just have the innate talent, and they're just best at everything. Mm-hmm. And, that's and then she discovers the books. Then she discovers the sacred text. So then she's like, oh, this, well, I'll just the do grimoires. everything. The grimoires. The spell books. Yeah, so <laughs> she just gets everything. And then, so what I'm saying where I feel like it benefited to not have Doctor Strange in WandaVision Mm-hmm. And instead to have her confrontation with Agatha Harkness be a little bit more specific on why she felt like she could do a turn and spent time on Wanda understanding that she had made irrevocable mistakes. Mm-hmm. It was that the jump to like the end credit scene at the end of WandaVision was her reading the Darkhold or, and, and dreamwalking. Children. Yeah. Exactly. She was dream. I think she was trying to figure out how to dreamwalk because what we, the first thing we see her doing in this movie is living in that fantasy world still Mm -hmm. she's still doing all of those things so for all intents and purposes if we didn't have the scene of her still fixating on her children for that long steven showing up in wandavision to be like hey let's help it out would end there it would not be how it is in this movie where it's like no wanda's the bad guy of this movie and um, mm-hmm. she's going to win unless she makes a huge character shift. Because, like, as much as Stephen can try to protect America Chavez, he's not going to stop her. She killed the Illuminati in five seconds. America Chavez is yeah. nothing to her. The Sorcerer Supreme is fucking nothing to her. Wanda is going to win. Well, and it's down strange to isn't Sam the Sorcerer Raimi Supreme. Like, you gotta win a personal victory. Well, he, yeah, but like Wong got his ass kicked. <laughs> but he is. I know. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, and I think that her the entirety of her her moral victory over herself that Stephen does have a hand in, mm-hmm. uh, and you could argue America sort of helps, but. I would debate you on that. Yeah. But that's all due to Sam Raimi. That is all mm-hmm. 1000% down to Sam Raimi. It took about six and a half hours for WandaVision to complete that arc for her to start that. And then it took Sam pretty much an hour to flip all of it again and be like, that's how that arc ends. And it's a ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking good, man. 
Um, but yeah, so like something I really want to mention since we are our horror podcast, I want to talk about some of the specific visual stylings of Sam Raimi's horror influences. Like, oh my God. So the one that always sticks out to me and I have not been able to forget since I saw this movie in theaters about a month and a half ago, maybe a month ago, but you know what I mean? Um, was when she was in the mirror dimension and like Pennywise crawled her way out. Damn. Which was horrifying and so like exhilarating to see. Uh, truly. And so vis- yeah, like you said, visually striking to see mm-hmm. also. Like Doctor Strange, because it's a very character-centric movie, there isn't the need for a whole lot of like big CGI stuff all the time. So they can save all of that for like mirror dimensions and like the psychic trip he goes on in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, all of Wanda's massive like spellcasting. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning of her assault on Comertage uh, to the end of that scene, I think you had a good point where the entirety of that arc is she's a horror character. She's the bad guy in a Conjuring movie. And yeah. it, it works. It's scary. Like immediately when she looks into that dude's mind and gets him to stop i'm like oh she's like a threat <laughs> like she's, a bad guy level i'm threat. in danger <laughs> well yeah uh, in full disclosure i was sitting next to kelly when we watched the movie and when <laughs> when steven goes up there and she's like you're gonna do all of these things this is me being reasonable I looked at him. I'm like, is it bad that I want her to win? <laughs> but it's it's so it's such an interesting thing that the movie had to deal with is right. there are huge sides to this movie. And you can see both of them because you understand where Wanda's coming from. You just watched a miniseries about how much this family that she created basically out of nothing means to her and how much she will do to continue to live through that and find that joy again. But you also have Dr. Strange being like, Hey, um, can we not tear apart everything? Yeah. And I think to, to the filmmaker and the screenwriter's credit, they, even if you didn't see WandaVision, they go over that again. Like they go Mm -hmm. over what her motives are. They go over specifically what she wants, why she thinks she's going to get it. And then, you know, Steven is like, Hey, remember Westview? And she's like, this doesn't have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. This is, and like, they pretty much are like, you don't have to have seen WandaVision. If you did, it will add to this, but I'm going to just give you a self-contained version of what that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't have to be shocked for that long that she's a bad guy. You just get it in about two seconds and then go, Oh, okay. I buy it. Cause she yeah. killed all those people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Wanda's got a Wanda's got a big body count in this one. Yeah, the kill count for this movie is truly staggering. Yeah, and some of these, some of the kills are really visually striking with showing nothing because it's a Marvel movie and they can't. Yeah, Um, because something that I found interesting is after Scott had left it and Sam Raimi was taking over, Kevin Feige was talking about like the horror sequences of the movie because it wasn't a horror movie, but it did have those, what he called scary sequences that he compares to like Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, that kind of like more family friendly, but still has some like 
damn moments. Yeah, if that's family friendly to Kevin Feige, maybe I should give him more credit on what he's going to do with Daredevil. Because those <laughs> movies, yeah, while they're they're only family friendly because they came out 40 years ago. Like, Devil <laughs> of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I, we've talked about it on the podcast like the second episode of the show. When I was a kid, my mom wouldn't was afraid to let me watch the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark because it was fucked up. And then I watched it and I'm like, this is fine. So I guess mm-hmm. I, yeah, like practical effects and gore without like horror context are okay, which yeah. was what this movie did. Absolutely. Well, and like the the kill that still like I think about is when um, Captain Carter gets fucking sawed in half with her shield. Yeah, I I usually forget about that one because um the way that she kills Black Bolt is straight up like out of a Garth Ennis comic. Yeah, and I'm like, am I watching The Boys or is this a MCU property? And that one's the most shocking because it comes out of nowhere. That's the yeah. first kill in that universe, yeah. other than the Ultron bots. But those are robots, so that doesn't matter. Well, um, and they are only, it is only not rated R because instead of blood coating it's her, oil. it's oil. And I'm like, yeah, because yeah, in an early draft, she definitely was like ripping people apart. How do I do it? it it's like, it's Sam Raimi, so it's kind of goofy. You know, like it, it's horror still, but Sam Raimi, even from Evil Dead, it's always been like not completely horrible because it's been goofy. Because like Evil yeah. Dead for the longest time, he was fighting like X ratings. Mm-hmm. And the only way I think that he could tone it down is changing the color of the blood and making it kind of seem goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh which if anyone has ever seen the remake of Evil Dead, like that's the movie Sam Raimi wanted to make in the and, 80s. And I love it, but my God, is it intense. And people in 1980 would not have been able to handle it. People in 2010 could barely handle it. Because like it's the true. cover of that movie is just a bunch of quotes from magazines talking about how fucking nuts it is all while it's the um, blood rain scene yeah while jane levy is just there and i'm just like ooh, and that's why i wanted to watch that one when i was a kid yeah because it was straight up a slayer album in a movie and that's what sam raimi's mind is like but the way he does it is goofy and with bruce campbell so it like doesn't always translate to like the depths of hell <laughs> Yeah, do we do have to mention Bruce Campbell naturally shows up in this Bruce movie. Bruce Campbell in this, yeah. <laughs> God damn, go off! Like, did you find anything about his involvement, Bruce Campbell? Yeah, I mean, like he, everyone knew that he was going to show up because he shows up in every Sam Raimi project. But that was literally the only thing he was showing up for. It was just, it was basically just to be like, "Hey, Sam, I'll do you a favor." Cause I like, I like working with you. I'll show up on set for a day. We'll have a talk. Um, and so he gets to play this bit character. He gets to make a fun end credits thing that felt very reminiscent to um, the Captain America school videos from uh, was that <laughs> Spider-Man homecomings final yeah. credit scene. Yeah. Yes. Bruce Campbell is a legend. Yeah. Did you play the Spider-Man two PS2 game? Yes, I did. And the fact that he was the narrator the whole time was probably one of my favorite things. Dude, I, I love it. And yeah, so like Bruce Campbell is the star of, he's Ash in, in Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 
been working with Sam Raimi since both of them started work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the Bruce Campbell's been in everything that Sam's ever done. So well, and Bruce Campbell in Superhero Land was in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. And if they had made a fourth, it was gonna be um introduced that he was Mysterio all along for you Spider-Man fans. Yeah, and that's why he showed up as different people. That's really sweet, especially because it would have been an excuse to have Bruce Campbell as a main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this, not only is Bruce Campbell probably doing a favor for his friend Sam, but he brings back the practical, like the Pratt falling. Yes. Like that he did classic. in like Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2. So like to me, that that end-end credit scene doesn't, it's not completely without purpose because it's just an excuse for me at least to see <laughs> more of him doing that. Yes. Because like it was one thing to see him in the movie, but then I'm like, oh shit, he's doing, he's doing the Evil Dead thing. Well, and I love that Bruce Campbell was involved because everyone knew he was going to be involved. And around, I think it was April Fools of this yeah, it was year, April Fools. He dropped a fake script page where Ash showed up and was talking to Doctor Strange, and it got some people for like a couple hours because they were like, you know what, this it's April Fools, but I could see Sam Raimi making this happen. Dude, absolutely. Because people would be like, huh? But, but uh, it's the multiverse. But everyone else would be like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <People said it. laughs> um, other horror elements we could talk about. Uh, the practical zombie makeup. Yeah. Like, we gotta talk. Like, Sam Raimi and all of his friends, every single person that made the original Evil Dead, all of them, because of their limited budget, became, like, amateur, if not, like, budding professional makeup artists mm-hmm. so like they did all of those makeup effects themselves well, yeah because on the original evil dead they were working with a budget of like two dollars fifty cents and some string so they were able to do so much <laughs> it was a lot more than that but yeah it was a very very small budget <laughs> allow me my hyperbolic uh funny talk oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. For, yeah, for like the viewers, like Evil Dead is a testament to what you can make with fucking nothing and your best friends. Evil yes. Dead 2 is what you can make once people believed in you and your geeky friends. And this is what you wanted to actually make. <laughs> it's yes. the exact same movie, just with more camp. Yeah. Because <laughs> they could afford it. Well, yeah, they could afford all the camp Sam wanted to put in this. Um, and f- frankly, I do have to say, um, he definitely found like a nice middle ground throughout this entire movie. I feel like something that some Marvel movies have is that the tone doesn't stay consistent throughout their movie. Yeah. And this is one that I feel like has a very consistent overall tone to the whole movie, especially considering the stakes we're dealing with throughout the entire movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a cool way, like just one of the brief bits to go back to how much Sam cares about his characters and and a relatable theme the thing the question that steven keeps getting asked in this huge multiverse movie about interdimensional travel and and dream walking and all of these things the thing that he keeps coming back to and and keeps getting asked to is are you happy steven Mm -hmm. and the fact that that's the emotional core of who his character is in the movie is nuts and that totally speaks to just like the tone like the tone is not getting lost in the multiverse of all like this huge thing that people can't relate to it's like no no here's how we can ground people 
mm-hmm. in this vast multiverse, the thing that you can rely on is how you feel. And in this whole thing, like even with America, like the fact that she can do all this dumb interdimensional shit, but it's because she's trying to get back to her family. Like that's and an emotional. She has core. no control over it. It only happens when she's in a heightened emotional state, which sets grounds for you to put characters in heightened emotional states multiple times. Right. And to have that be the way that like, like, and in classic Raimi fashion for like balancing the tone in the camp, Steven gives her that like huge emotional pep talk wearing like all of that prosthetic makeup as a zombie. Yeah. Like it just like, that's, it's so on brand and very so uniquely specific for Sam Raimi to do. Mm-hmm. That you can come away from the movie like we did being like, that was a fucking horror movie, interdimensional multiverse movie, and a superhero movie. And it worked on all on of every the level. Like it, yeah. it, it should not have worked that well. <laughs> this shouldn't work, but it does. And that's what's that's what Sam Raimi brings out of, yeah. I think, some of the most unlikely circumstances. That's fucking what you get when you get Raimi. I mean... If for, and what, even for those that don't know, like the original Spider-Man movies, it was all about that. Like the yep. tone can go from like, isn't it funny that Peter Parker's a huge nerd to like this emotional scene with him and his uncle to like bone saw. Like you just get all bone of these. Bone saw is ready. Like that's what you get. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously the horror aspects didn't really belong as much in Spider-Man but they did here. So like, mm-hmm. if you like those early Spider-Man movies, you're going to find a lot of the same beats here. And I found myself being like, damn, I wouldn't have thought anyone would have been able to do that for yeah. a movie this big. Well, yeah. And it's, it's a true testament to Sam Raimi. He did Spider-Man 20 years ago and he's still pulling out the same quality in superhero movies now in this modern era where superhero movies are a completely different thing than they were when he started with Spider-Man. He set the groundwork for what we all can take for granted these days in these superhero movies. And then he made it even better by combining genres to continue to tell a compelling story. Yeah, I just, man... (laughs) I know this is a bonus episode, but like when we get to Sam Raimi movies, it's going to be a lot more like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Like, I'm going to make everyone care about Drag Me to Hell, a movie that nobody liked. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen it. It's on my list. I think it's just showed up on one of my streaming services. I watched it like years ago before I even saw Evil Dead, like the Evil Dead movies and got Mm -hmm. a more of an appreciation for what Raimi does. But now I'm like, "Mm, I got to revisit it. I bet it's a big meme. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got any more for this? I mean, I feel like if I talk anymore, I'm going to get back into the whole Marvel side and just spew on for hours. I could talk about this movie for way longer than we should today. Yeah, we are not Sam Raimi. We cannot balance dumb MCU timeline stuff for those of people that don't care and like legitimately good heart. We just can't balance them that well. We're just yeah. a horror <laughs> podcast. We're not <laughs> Sam Raimi. <laughs> like this one in New Mutants for me, especially, it's been like, okay, assume that the audience has never seen any of these Marvel movies before. How would you describe them? 
but and that for me that the only reason that you would need any explanation on who any of these characters are is if you wanted to see them and other things because the characters themselves like yeah sam didn't create them mm-hmm. they were they existed already like we were lucky enough that dr strange and scarlet witch had pre-existing properties within the mcu that people wrote them well and wrote mm-hmm. them in a compelling way to get sam to be like mm, i want to choose these ones yeah <laughs> i want to play with these ones <laughs> But yeah, I'll be intrigued to see if Sam continues his streak of coming out of superhero movie retirement. I know there have been rumored talks that he might still be in good favor with Kevin Feige, especially considering the very um, well re- the critic reception to this mo- and the audience reception to this movie. Yeah, this movie's been killing it. Oh yeah, I think it's supposed to hit cross a billion dollars soon in the box office or something like that. Yeah, and it's gonna hit Disney Plus on the twenty second. For those yes. of you that are interested, um, for like listeners of this show, apropos of again, just like New Mutants, apropos of the superhero thing, you can watch this movie and you don't have to have seen the three thousand other properties. They're there if you want to. You don't mm-hmm. have to. This movie specifically is the one that we're saying like it's handled in such a way by such a legend that even squares are going to like it. Yeah. Roll yes. credits. That's our whole Roll thing. Roll credits. Yes. <laughs> Follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at square horror podcast at gmail.com. And you know, if you're afraid and you keep traveling through dimensions and you just can't stop having powers when the plot needs you to or whatever, just be glad that a grief-stricken mother is not hunting you with magical abilities. That's my end cap, I guess. <laughs> you can look forward to next week's episode where we go back to our Growing Up as a Pain franchise or series um, with a movie I have not seen before, Me which neither. I'm very excited for. So you can look forward to that next week. And until then, you stay spooky out there. Mm-hmm.